with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and bowl season is officially underway in college football starting this weekend, and senior bowl announcements continue to roll in. We've got a ton to discuss this week on the show, and we start things at the top with Draft Buzz, where I chat with Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com to break some news this week on the show, so you certainly don't want to miss that discussion to kick things off. After Draft Buzz, we'll then transition to scouting report, where this week I'm going to break down a player who has accepted his invitation to the senior bowl, a potential first-round pick from Kentucky, and pass rusher Josh Allen. After that, we'll get to Mr. Relevant, where this week we're catching up with Joe Marino, who covers the top prospects in the ACC for the Draft Network. So we'll talk with Joe about a bunch of the top players, not just in that conference, but around the country. Next up, we've got Saturday Scouting, where Ben Fennell and I break down prospects that you should be watching in the biggest bowl game this weekend, the Las Vegas Bowl between Arizona State and Fresno State. Then we wrap things up on our draft mailbag, where I'll take a question or two from you guys out there and answer them here on the show. As all Always, we've got a ton to get into this week. So let's get things started with the latest and greatest surrounding the 2019 draft with our friend Tony Pauline. It's time for some draft buzz. Now it's time for draft buzz. It's time to welcome in my personal go-to source when it comes to breaking news surrounding the NFL draft. That's Tony Pauline, the draft insider from draftanalyst.com. Tony, we're getting to that point now. It's information season now in the draft process. All kinds of reports out there about who's going to come out, who's going to stay in school, who's going to go to the Senior Bowl, who's not. There, there's a ton happening right now. So I ask you, Mr. Insider, give us some insider's info. What is one nugget that maybe we haven't heard yet, something that's on the horizon that we should keep a, a close ear out for? You know, since last week, several sources have told me that Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins is definitely entering the draft. Oh, okay. This is the this is the word coming out of the scouting community, and several league insiders have told me that over the past few days that Haskins has already decided on representation, or in layman's terms, he's he's chosen an agent already. I'm told that Haskins really wasn't thinking about the draft much during the season, but the tempo of his decision really picked up after Urban Meyer announced he was retiring. So at this point, I'm fairly confident in saying that we should expect Haskins to enter the 2019 draft. And, you know, since this is uh, a podcast on, on, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, Haskins entering the draft is a good thing for the Eagles because the more quarterbacks who enter the draft, highly rated guys like Haskins or Justin Herbert, throw their hat in the ring, uh, there's a good opportunity that these guys, or uh, you would expect these guys to be selected before Philadelphia is announced on the clock. So that means there's a greater chance of a top-rated player, potentially a defensive lineman, you know, falling into the laps of the Eagles when they are eventually uh, called to the clock in round one. Well, this is just like last week when you respond to a question that I have without knowing what my next question was. My next question was going to be about Ohio State because, you know, not just with Dwayne Haskins, but, you know, you get that Urban Meyer news last week, Tony, and the Rose Bowl will be his last game at Columbus. And whenever I hear anything in regards to coaching news in college, my head first goes to the underclassmen on the roster. Will they leave early rather than stay under a new staff? Now, the Buckeyes won't have a completely new group. Obviously, we all know uh, that Ryan Day is stepping into that role, the former Eagles quarterbacks coach. He'll be the head coach. It's not a complete lack of familiarity. That being said, 
I think there's more turnover that's certainly possible. If Haskins is, in fact, leaving, like you said, uh, will any of these other juniors from Ohio State leave campus? I know you've mentioned Mike Weber before as a possibility, the junior running back. But what about guys like Draymond Jones, the defensive tackle, uh, Michael Jordan, the offensive lineman who played center this year, had been a guard before that, or any of these other guys? There's a bunch of underclassmen there for Ohio State. Any of these other guys you expected to, to kind of throw their hat into the ring here? Yeah, more turnover in a program that usually has a ton of underclassmen yeah. that enter the draft historically. Now, I've not heard anything about Michael Jordan to date, but I can tell you that I've, I've been informed Mike Weber, a player that we've uh, spoken about several times in the past and someone I'm high on, is very likely to enter the draft. Some people have told me that Weber has already chosen an agent. I would be surprised if Draymond Jones goes back to school and doesn't enter the draft. He was thinking about it last year. Uh, but he did not have a good uh, sophomore, uh, redshirt sophomore season. Statistically, he's coming off a real good year after the disappointing campaign in 2017. I've always believed that Jones was first-round talent. Safety Jordan Fuller is another Buckeye considering the draft, though he did not really improve his game last season the way I had expected. I thought off the 2017 film he was a potential late first-round pick. He's kind of slid but I hear uh, the draft is still in his plans, or possibly in his plans. Ditto for uh, receiver K.J. Hill, who's coming, uh, coming off a career season. He's a name to keep on the radar as we get closer to the underclassmen deadline. Yeah, Hill has made a bunch of big-time catches this year. Whenever I've watched Ohio State on TV, haven't studied him yet, but uh, certainly has had his flashes. And, Tony, you've been all over these underclassmen announcements, You know whether it's Dwayne Haskins today, uh, but also you look back to Kelvin Harmon from NC State. I mean, you said back in, like, September on this show that he would declare. Same with Greg Little, the tackle from Ole Miss. You throw in the quarterback, Jared Stidham from Auburn and others, and you can see why you're the best at what you do. So let me ask you this question about one of these juniors, a guy I have not watched a lick of, but I've heard some buzz about just nothing concrete and obviously I haven't gotten my own eyes on him yet that's North Carolina wide receiver Anthony Ratliff Williams what are scouts saying about this kid is he an option to go high in this draft well it depends on what what you consider high now I like Ratliff Williams and I graded him as a third round prospect uh, before the season started uh, during my summer preview of North Carolina he's shown himself to be a big play receiver the past two years and at times he takes over games his numbers were up slightly this season, though nothing, nothing exceptional. Uh, but we know what, what a horrendous season it was at UNC, who only played 11 games this year and really didn't even bother rescheduling a mid-September game against Central Florida, which was canceled due to a hurricane. I still like uh, Ratliff Williams as a potential second-day pick, but it's all going to depend on how fast he runs the combine and how well he tests in pre-draft, uh, pre-draft workouts. That's a, a major... Uh, major question mark, or I don't want to say concern, but a major question mark surrounding the uh, underclassmen. Uh, I, I think on film, he projects as a potential number two receiver at the next level. Let's see how he tests out athletically. All right, well, let's transition now to the senior ball, Tony. And one per- uh, position in particular that I just find to be very interesting. Usually when we go down to Mobile, one of the weakest positions on a yearly basis is running back because you know typically your big-name seniors uh, have put enough on film that – They may not go down, and obviously a lot of the really talented players, they declare when they're juniors, so they don't even make it to senior eligibility. But uh, I feel like this year, when you're looking at this group, 
you know, there's a pretty interesting group overall. And I think when you look at guys like LJ Scott, who announced he was passing on an opportunity to redshirt this season, he entered the draft. He's going to the senior bowl. They've got uh, Dexter Williams from Notre Dame, another big kid, much more explosive than Scott. He's battled through injuries and he's had suspensions throughout his career, but the kid's very, very talented. Uh, Miles Gaskin is a four-year starter for Chris Peterson in Washington. He's got good vision. He's got some lateral quickness to make up for that lack of size. Uh, Karen Higdon from Michigan is a guy I'm a big fan of. He's a bit smaller, but he's a dirty work runner as well. I think he'll find a role. Jalen Moore from App State, he's intriguing as well. I know the running back class as a whole, and they've gotten some junior help so far. Devin Singletary, uh, Henderson from Memphis, uh, throw their, threw their hats into the ring today. Um, but I think when you look at this class overall, it's a little bit unimpressive. But the senior group, am I, am I crazy to think that the group that's going down to Mobile so far is you know more impressive than normal? Yeah, it's solid. I mean, on paper it looks very good, but I think a lot of these guys, of these guys have a lot to prove. Let's start off with Jalen Moore of Appalachian State. It's, un- it's very unlikely that he practices or plays hmm. uh, at the Senior Bowl, and he's just going down there for the interview. Uh, interviews, I should say. He had season-ending surgery in mid-October after dislocating his ankle, and while I'm told he's ahead of schedule and is likely to work out the combine, I don't think he's going to be ready for full contact at the Senior Bowl. You know, like you, I like L.J. Scott. Uh, you, you watch his sophomore film of 2016, and he looked like a big-time prospect. Yep. And though we, you know, he could have applied for another year on the college field, he decided to go pro. I don't know what he had to gain from going back to Michigan State. Um, just, like you said, a lot of injuries, just 55 carries this season after playing through an injury plague 2017. I mean, the big thing, I guess, for Scott is, you know, you want to see his lateral quickness. You want to see that he's more than a downhill ball carrier. But can he stay healthy during Senior Bowl week? Because injury is going to be a major topic of, uh, during the interviews. And gosh forbid he turns an ankle or, or, or strains a hammy on Monday. That's going to be another major unfortunate red flag for Scott. Dexter Williams was a guy who wasn't even on scouts' radar entering the season. He just had he had 39 carries each of the prior two seasons before rushing for 941 yards and 12 TDs this season. You know, as you said, he's a bigger back. We'll see if he's just a between-the-tackles downhill ball carrier or he's a guy that's got some smoothness and he's fluid and he can easily turn the corner. You'll want to see his, hand, his uh, hands catching the ball during pass-catching uh, catching drills. Higgins, as you said, is a smaller back, but he plays big. He likes to ground it out on the inside. I mean, he's a pounder, but you know, at barely 190 or 195 pounds, maybe he comes in at 200 pounds. Can he turn the corner with, with ease? Uh, he's got 16 career receptions at Michigan. Uh, running backs under 205 pounds have to be able to catch the ball, or they're really going to fall in the draft. Miles Gaskin, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated backs heading towards the 2019 draft. He doesn't have great size, but he can do it all. He'll pick and choose his way on the inside. He's got the quickness and agility to turn the corner. He's a terrific cast catcher out of the backfield. Uh, I really think he's a prototypical third-down situational back. I think he can be a starter at the next level. Uh, came into the season graded by scouts as a late-rounder. I gave him a third-round grade because, you know, in my opinion, he's a three-down back. Maybe he's not the best short yardage back or he's not a guy that you're going to use in short yardage situations. But first down, second down, third down, as far as running the ball or catching the ball in the backfield, Gaskin can do it all. You know, I'll be excited to watch him during senior bowl practices. 
Well, Tony, at this point, we've got a few spots still open for those senior bowl practices. You know, they're right around 100 names. I would imagine we're still going to see another 15, 20 guys maybe, you know, added to that list. And that's before we see players pull out. But are there some names that you're surprised haven't been confirmed yet for this game? I'd say Damian Harris, the running back from Alabama, seems like an obvious choice. Uh, Most of the Alabama guys are usually a little bit late to the party uh, in that respect and are some in that last batch of announcements. So I guess it's not that surprising. But is there anyone else that kind of stands out to you that you, you're surprised we haven't heard yet? Well, yeah. I mean, you look at the Final Four teams. You look at the Clemson guys. Does Christian Wilkins show up at the Senior Bowl? You know, what about Mitch Hyatt, the offensive tackle? He would have a lot to gain by showing up. Austin Bryant, the pass rusher who's coming off a, you know, a very disappointing season. Uh, will Cleland Farrell, Farrell get, the, get an invitation to the Senior Bowl once he declares for the draft? So you've got to look at the Clemson guys. You know, Notre Dame, uh, Tavon Coney accepted an invitation the other day, which is great to see. But what about Jerry Tillery? I mean, Jerry Tillery is yeah. uh, on the fringe of being a first-round choice. Yep. I think he has the skills to be a first-round player, but I think there's just so many names at the defensive line that are going to go in the top 32. Eventually, someone's going to fall out. You look at Ohio State, who we spoke about before. Paris Campbell's coming off a terrific season. He's not on the list of, ex- of accepted invites. Uh, he needs to be there. Yes. Uh, his teammate, Isaiah Price, the offensive tackle, I think would have a lot to gain by participating in Mobile. The biggest omission that I see right now is Montez Sweat of Mississippi State. Safety Jonathan Abrams, Senator Elton Jenkins of the Bulldogs has accepted, have accepted invitations, but we haven't heard from Sweat yet. Now, there's still time, and we need to be sure there's no injury issue, you know, but remember, just a few weeks ago, I spoke about on this podcast that while everyone seems to be putting sweat in the first round of their mock, uh, mock draft, I'm told there are a lot of teams that have him as a second-round prospect and are concerned that he won't hold up against the run at the next level. So wouldn't it then, I guess, if you're Montez Sweat, wouldn't it be great to just go down to Mobile and, you know, and you're not going to see it totally in practice, but you'll see it in the game, just prove that you can be that three-down guy? You know, maybe. Uh, since the days of Taylor Mays, who went to the Senior Bowl and looked like an Olympian athlete but really struggled to move laterally and, and took forever, uh, you know, moving two feet to his left or, or his right, which really, uh, really dropped his draft stock, there was a concern from some players, and most specifically from the Ragents, that prospects could be exposed at the Senior Bowl. Basically, their weaknesses will be on display for the world to see, and more importantly, NFL decision-makers We'll see what prospects are unable to do as well as what they can do. And that's part of the beauty of the Senior Bowl. Now, hopefully Sweat accepts an invitation and he can laugh at me for implying all this. But as of right now, he is the biggest omission that I see on that invitation list for the Senior Bowl. Yeah, it would definitely be disappointing to not see him down there. Hope to see him in Mobile in a few weeks. All right, uh, Tony, let's wrap this up. Mock Draft Roundup. Uh, this week, we're going to go to the Draft Wire, where Luke Easterling has the Eagles selecting Kansas State right tackle Dalton Reisner in the first round. And judging by uh, earlier conversations you and I have had, I have a feeling of where you lean on this, but let's hear your thoughts, because I, I have seen Reisner mock to the Eagles in a couple of mock drafts, really, in the last few days. What are your thoughts there on the Reisner value there in the middle of round one? Yeah, I just don't see it. I like the idea of an offensive lineman going to the Eagles in round one, and we spoke about this last week, you know, protecting Car- – you know, you want to make Carson Wentz a better uh, quarterback. You, sure. you better protect him. But as we've mentioned with Reisner, you know, number one, is he going to be a tackle in the NFL? I, I don't think so. I think he's going to be a guard or a center. Is he going to be a top 90 pick? <clears throat> Excuse me. He's not on my board. 
And in fact, uh, scouts graded him as a uh, as a seventh round choice coming in, coming into the uh, coming into the season. He, you know, he he's good, uh, but he doesn't have exceptional upside. He's not a zone blocker. He's more of a small area guy. Presently, I have uh, Kansas State left tackle Scott France rated higher than Reisner. So, you know, he's consistently mocked in the top uh, 45 selections. Senior Bowl will be a good platform where, where he's accepted invitation will be a good platform him, platform for him to display his skills. But right now, I have Reisner graded as a last day interior offensive lineman. I don't think that would be a good selection for the Eagles in round one. Well, Tony, we thank you as always for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Maybe you'll have uh, some more breaking news for us next week. We'll see. I hope so. We'll talk then. Great stuff from Tony, who you can follow on Twitter at Tony Pauline. By now, you know you can always follow me on Twitter at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the stuff I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So things like the Eagle Eye in the Sky articles, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, whatever X's and O's content you're looking for, they'll all be there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or the Eagles mobile app. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I teased earlier that I would break down Kentucky pass rusher Josh Allen, one of the top players who has really helped himself most this year, this season and is now hearing more consistent top 20 buzz going into this draft so he's the subject this week in our scouting report dim those lights we're headed to the film room for the scouting report all right, Josh Allen, six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds. He was the winner of the Bednarik Award. He was the SEC Defensive Player of the Year. He was the uh, finalist for the Butkus Award. He was one of the top pass rushers in the country. He's going to the Senior Bowl in January, and this is a three-year starter at strong side linebacker in Mark Stoops' three-four scheme. So he stood up primarily off the edge. Sometimes he would walk out into the slot, typically to the strong side of the formation, so to the tight end side. He did line up in a three-point stance with his hand in the dirt and some of their sub pack. He's got good height and a frame that he has packed on 20 pounds onto for that final year. He was around 230 a year ago. Very, very light as a junior, but that added weight this year really helped him, in my opinion. He's a pretty good athlete for the position. Didn't lose a lot of those movement skills. He was used often in space. Displays that burst, that quickness, the change of direction to be a starter in the NFL off the edge. This is a guy who was a high school wide receiver, so he's got that athletic background, and he gains a lot of ground with his first step. He's got the ability to threaten the corner from a three-point stance. He's got solid flexibility off the edge, turning the corner. As a pass rusher, his go-to move is a bull rush. You know That added weight allowed him to get a little bit better collapsing the pocket. You saw a little bit more power, a little bit more pop. He'll work in sometimes a subtle chop move, you know, a long arm move here and there, a nice uh, you know, a hand swipe as well. But primarily, he's leaning on that bull rush. And sometimes he'll work in a spin move as well to kind of counter. But again, He's trying to get inside your pads and work you backwards. Attacks the throwing arm of the quarterback. That's one thing that really stood out. He does a nice job trying to get the ball out. Uh, came up with a number of clutch sacks late in games for Kentucky as a senior, which was really interesting because coming into the year, you know, going off of the last year's tape, six and a half of his seven sacks as a junior came in the first half of the season. So he really wore, wore down on the back half of his junior year. Clearly, there was some urgency to try and finish games, and that may have been a little bit of a point of emphasis for him this offseason. Uh, against the run, I actually kind of like him the last couple of years. He understands his role as a force player, does a nice job setting the edge against the tight end, and will hold his own against college tackles, especially this year. He'll lock out his arms, and he works hard to win the corner. Very physical tackler who will wrap up and drive through 
contact. He was asked to drop in coverage as well, so he's used to playing as a curl or a flat player in zone coverage. And you know, he'll f- does a nice job moving in reverse and, and rally to the throw and make a tackle in the flat. Like I said, he's a pretty good tackler. On the backside of run plays, I thought he was pretty disciplined. He took two, or he took good angles, uh, you know, g- coming from the backside in pursuit. Doesn't get too nosy, you know, and he'll do his job on the backside. Uh, and he has the hands to finish for interceptions. I mean, he's just a very versatile player. I thought he had an improved motor this year as a senior as well. That was an issue that I had with him as a junior. But from what I saw this year, that motor, that urgency from the backside did improve. Now, from a negative standpoint. Like I said, he added weight in the last 12 months, but I think he can still add to get, you know, stand to get a little bit more. I think he can get, you know, still get another 10, 12 pounds on that frame, get up around 260, not lose much of that explosiveness. And I talked about that first step. He does have, though, some stiffness turning the corner. I said it's probably solid flexibility. I would say it's probably solid at best. He does have a little bit of stiffness there. His expanded, you know, the, I, look, this is a guy that I think has kind of added a couple moves to his repertoire in terms of being a pass rusher, but doesn't have that go-to move yet. Yeah, he, he relies heavily on that bull rush, but he's still trying to rely on a, on a go-to move that in, the, in the passing game, and he lacks the ability to consistently counter once he's blocked as a pass rusher. So still kind of developing that plan of attack against offensive tackles. That's one thing that stands out watching Josh Allen. But this kid's one of the most improved players in college football from last year to this year. He put on that good weight, now able to better collapse the pocket. He can win with speed. He can show the ability to win with power at times. Now I just need him to further improve that pass rush plan. He's got the versatility to be a 3-4 outside linebacker as well as be a 4-3 DN. I do like him most rushing from a three-point stance. I think he could be a starting defensive end as long as he can continue to add weight, get a little bit bigger and stronger. We'll see if he ends up going the first round. He's definitely more of a prospect than a player right now, but uh, the upside is very, very high. That's how I view Josh Allen. Again, one of the top pass rushers in the entire country, but let's keep things going here. I was happy to be joined by Joe Marino from the Draft Network on Mr. Relevant this week to talk about some of the best prospects from the ACC and around the country. Let's get to that chat right now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Pleased to be joined this week on the show by Joe Marino from the Draft Network. You can follow Joe on Twitter at the Joe Marino. He is a senior analyst over there, and he is a co-host for the Draft Dudes podcast. So if you like the NFL Draft, you're listening to the show, go and give them a subscription, give us some rating, and, and leave some comments on their channel as well. Joe, welcome to the show, man. Good to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much, Frank. Good to be on talking uh, talking football with you. Yeah, no question. Well, let's let's get things rolling here with a guy that you and I are both very, very high on. That's Virginia safety Juan Thornhill. This is a guy I've had my eye on really going back to 2016 when he was just a sophomore. They had a bunch of DBs that year, and Thornhill was a guy that really caught my eye. So I've studied him for the past couple of years. I know you're a fan of his as well. Tell me what you like most about his game. Yeah, Thornhill's really fun. I've had a chance to see him in person three different times over the last couple of years, and my first exposure was the Indiana game last year. And uh, he made this ridiculous interception where he was sinking back into a cover three drop, and, and just the body control and, and the instincts that he had to, to haul in this pass, it really turned my head and I said, i got to check out this Thornhill guy. And I kept on you know, focusing on him last year and really enjoyed how competitive he was, how, how good his ball skills were. Uh, but notice that he's a little tight, and I didn't really project him favorably to man situations on the boundary with consistency. And then uh, it was announced over the summer that he was going to transition over to safety full-time. And I was like, okay, this could be a really, really nice marriage here of, of, of Thornhill moving over to safety. And then 
he was just lights out all year. He made that transition seamlessly, and uh, he, he he does so many different things. Obviously, the ball skills are still there. He came away with, uh, what is it, I think five interceptions in uh, six, six pass deflections this year. I mean, he's up to 12 interceptions for his career. So you could see him still breaking on the football, at both playing forward as well as, uh, as, as taking those angles to uh, routes that are – that he has to get over top of on the boundary. And so that was really impressive. He's coming downhill and tackling really well. He still gives you some situational upside in man coverage. And so, you know, we talk about these defensive backs being versatile, especially at safety guys that can do a lot of different things. You get that from Thornhill. He's really been productive, and he's been a long-term starter there for Virginia. And I think he has a chance to be a, a, a you know, potentially a day two, or maybe an even early day two draft pick and, and be a starting safety for someone and make a team really happy. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's interesting. They had been talking about moving him to safety for the last couple of years, but this was the year they were finally able to do it. They had some injuries going into 2017, and that's what kept him at corner. But uh, a really, really intriguing player. So uh, let's transition. Let's talk about our wide receiver from the ACC who has declared for the draft already, and that's NC State's Kelvin Harmon. Uh, this is a guy I have not yet watched, but I've heard plenty of hype about him from a guy who has studied him. Let's hear about, Let's hear it. What does Harmon bring to the NFL? What is his upside at the next level? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Harmon. 6'3", 213. He's had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons there uh, for NC State. And uh, he's just a true alpha. He's a guy that when you think about play strength, I think he's got blue-chip play strength. His ability to beat press coverage, his ability to impose his will in the contact window, his ability to establish his frame at the catch point are things that really, really pop for me. And, And I think he's... You know, we, we talk about these bigger receivers, and there's always that concern that they could separate and do they move well enough or are they just, you know, power forwards. And I think that there's a smoothness to the way that Harmon operates where if you watch his Syracuse game specifically from this past season, he was able to really just dust coverage and blow by them. And he's a really smooth mover. Uh, you know, he's not overly twitchy, so let's, let's you know, be cautious there. But I think he's got enough athleticism to pair with what I think is blue chip play strength to really be that alpha X-type receiver at the NFL level, love, love, love how he beats press coverage. And, you know, if you're willing to mix it up with him early in the, in the route, you, he, he can really impose his will and, and create space. And so I'm comfortable with him as, as, uh, as a three-level threat. I think he, you know, he can really win in the short to in intermediate areas and uncover quickly. But his ball skills are really nice, and it allows him to, to really contribute down the field as well. So I think if you're looking for a number one X receiver, Harmon's a guy that uh, warrants a lot of consideration. Nice. Well, I know another underclassman wide receiver that you're a big fan of, and I know everybody over at the Draft Network is a big fan of, is DK Metcalf, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, who missed the second half of this season with a back injury. Now, uh, medically, we'll have to get some questions answered there at the Combine, but on film, what do you like about Metcalf? Because watching him last season in 2017, I thought he was a guy that with very, very intriguing traits, but who hadn't put it all together on the field yet. High upside, but still was just kind of finding his way. I haven't studied this year's film yet, but what have you seen from him because he's still a young kid, just a redshirt sophomore. What do you like about Metcalf? Yeah, he's only 20 years old, and, and I just think we're drooling over his physical gifts. And so, you know, to your point there, I don't think he's quite yet a polished receiver yet, especially at the catch point where I want to see him get a little bit more consistent timing his jumps and and, uh, and tracking the football a little bit more consistently, winning in those contested situations. But all the traits are present to do that. Uh, he's really exciting physically. So, yeah, he's uh, he's listed at 6'3", 225, and he's a guy that when you see him accelerate, it's not that he's just fast for his size or quick and twitchy for his size. He's just playing fast. And uh, I, I love his his ability to 
win early in routes. I mean, he accelerates so quickly off the line of scrimmage, and the way that he gets in and out of his breaks is unbelievably quick and fluid for a guy of his size. And uh, I, you can just see it. He plant and drives with so much burst off of that foot that he can just run away from coverage. And then on top of that, like I said, he's 6'3", 225. Uh, so there, there was a lot of uh, good examples this year specifically where you know, he was able to really extend and re- really maximize his catch radius. And, and, uh, and I think that's a definitely a big plus of his game is, is just how big of a catch radius he offers to, to, to combine with his size as well as his, his mobility. And so uh, I think uh, that this is you know one of those special type talents in terms of physical upside and the guy that, you know, I think should should be drafted really high in the first round and, and be uh, a really high upside guy. And, and look, I, he does have some some consistency to to, uh, to clean up. He's only played in 20 games in college. He's young and he's raw, but I think his ceiling is as high as any offensive player in this draft. Well, every week, Joe, you guys are turning out great content. You guys do weekly mock drafts. And in your last mock draft, just under a month ago, you had the Eagles picking 13th overall and taking a corner from Washington in Byron Murphy. Uh, what, what have you seen from Murphy? He hasn't declared yet, but give us the scouting report on him because he's another guy I haven't studied. I haven't studied a lot of these underclassmen. Yeah, I mean, he's just so smooth. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about quick feet, fluid hips, ability to transition cleanly, no false steps and just blanket guys. I mean, he is really, really, really solid in coverage and, and as well as his, you know, his physical traits there. Um, love how aggressive he is and how instinctive he is. He's a guy that I think really understands coverage, spacing, route recognition skills are outstanding, and he's aggressive. When, when he's targeted, you know, he's an alpha at the catch point. He's six foot, about 180, so he's not super big. But he plays well above his size. He's willing to be physical. And so I think you know, he gives you a lot of upside in man coverage, but also I think he can do a lot of zone stuff because he's so savvy with his, with his, uh, with his spacing and overlapping coverage. Um, and then just how, how aggressive he is at times to, uh, to find the football, even you know, just coming out of his zone and, and, and just finding that football, playing the ball all the time. I think he's got really, really exciting uh, ball skills. And so we talk about the top corners in a draft, you know, what really differentiates a lot of these guys is the ones that can make those game-changing plays in the ball. And, and you get that at a high level from Murphy, but also the, the ability to remain in phase and be sticky in coverage. So I think he's a total package at, at corner. Uh, he's only a redshirt sophomore, so we'll see if he comes out. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, if he if he gets to 13, you know, we saw Denzel Ward go in the top five, and I think he's got that type of upside. Uh, you know, I think that'd be a slam-dunk pick for the Eagles who have, you know, a lot of needs in the secondary right now. All right, Joe, I want a sleeper. I want a guy that not enough people are talking about that you feel deserves more hype, that you feel like you might be higher on than most outside of the guys that we've talked about so far. Yeah, you know, the name that always comes to mind is Bryce Hall. I've been pounding the table for this guy all year. Um, he's he's a corner from Virginia, so so a couple of Virginia guys for, for the listeners to check out. Uh, he's he's over six foot, over 200 pounds, and uh, he's, a, he's a converted wide receiver. He played – uh, receiver up into 2016, and then he, he converted over to cornerback, and he's just blossomed. And I thought he had an exceptional season this year. Uh, really, the game that popped that made me, you know, really tune into him was his his matchup against Kelvin Harmon this past year. I was at that game, and like I talked about earlier, Harmon's just an alpha. But Hall is a guy that I thought competed as well as well as anybody with Harmon over the last two years, and I've watched a ton of NC State, and uh, I just feel like just the way he competes. And, and I think he's a guy that can win in any technique. If you want to do press, you want to do man, 
play him in zones. I think he he has the upside to do all of those different things. His ball production is outstanding. He had 20 pass breakups, two interceptions this year, and uh, you can just tell he finds it. Like you know, those receiver skills really show up when the ball's in the air. He knows how to position his frame. He knows how to how to deflect and get his hands on the football, play through the receiver's hands, and he and he's never lost. And so even when he did get beat this past year, which wasn't often, he was right there. And so it wasn't like he was getting dusted in coverage. He's right there. It's just a really, you know, high, really high-level catches were made against him. But uh, I think he's physical. I think he's athletic. There was a play this past year where he was playing boundary corner. And it was the Miami game. And, and Travis Homer was, was, uh, was, about to, was breaking free for a touchdown uh, on the opposite side of the field. And he, he came from the other side. I think, I think he covered up 50, 50 yards of distance, closing that distance and tackling Travis Homer, which kept him out of the end zone. And, and it, the, Miami settled for a field goal, and then you know the, the Cavs won by like three. It was a game-changing play, and he was clocked at 22 miles an hour on the gun. So he has speed to go with those ball skills and a, and a really nice competitive skill set that I like. So Bryce Hall, you know, the NFL loves corners. This is a guy that I think that as more and more people uh, get to some Virginia tape and see him, that, that he's going to have a lot of fans, and I'm a big fan right now. Well, Joe, one final question for you. Who's a guy or two that maybe the masses are high on, and they might have him in round one, a mock draft, but you just don't see it with the way that you've evaluated them on film? You know, the guy that really pops is Greg Little, Ole Miss left tackle. He just declared for the draft, and He's a player that I get, like, his physical upside is really good. He moves really well. He has length. He has good power. But from a technique perspective, from consistency with his kick slide, from consistency with his body control and not folding at the waist and getting his hands fit, I just see a lot of, a lot of work needed there. And we've seen the NFL being willing to take project offensive tackles in the first round. Colton Miller is an example last year. A couple guys that went day two last year, like Brandon Parker, uh, Jaron uh, Christian from Louisville, Brian O'Neill from Pittsburgh. There's a lot of guys that I think need a lot of work, but that the NFL has been willing to, to kind of take chances on because I think there is such a big need uh, for, for quality offensive line play in the NFL. And it seems like maybe the guy that uh, people are gravitating this year based on, on you know, just physical traits is, is Greg Little. But there's so much in terms of, just like I mentioned, they're just body control and technique that needs to improve before I think he can take the field. And I continue to see him mocked in the top 10, top 20 and I'm not saying that that may not ultimately happen just based on what the NFL showed us in recent years but I think that he's a guy that needs a lot of work before he can you know he can provide those types of returns of being a quality left tackle in the NFL if if he actually can iron out his deficiencies and become one. Joe thanks so much for joining us again you can follow Joe on Twitter at the Joe Marino and check out all of his great content with all those guys over at the Draft Network. Joe we'll talk to you again soon my man the All-Star game is right around the corner we'll see you down at the Shrine game and Senior Bowl. All right, sounds good, Fran. Looking forward to it. Great stuff, as expected there from Joe Marino. Hopefully we can get him back on the show again very soon. But before we transition to our next segment, you guys know how much I love it when you tweet out the show or you post about it on Facebook. What we love most here, though, is when you take a minute and head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and give us a rating or even leave us a comment. Let's give some love to Matt, who went to our Apple Podcast page this week, left a rating and a question about safeties. And Matt asks, Fran, it was incredible watching Rodney McLeod diagnose a play pre-snap, then run directly to the contact point for the play. I hope he can come back to full strength. That being said, 
What do you think are the most important traits for a free safety in Coach Schwartz's defense in order of priority? I can't figure out what the Eagles focus on when drafting a safety, or do we just give up on the analysis, draft versatile DBs, and figure out where to play them later? Well, it's actually not a bad idea. You know, you, the versatility is always big in the defensive secondary, but very good question, Matt. And when you, dra- when you watch Jim Schwartz's defense the last three years at the safety spot, I think it's important to know how the safeties are used. You start there. And, you know, this is a team that typically uses a designated free safety and strong safety. You know, Malcolm Jenkins has been the strong safety. He typically lines up in the box over a tight end, just closer to the line of scrimmage. The free safety, who had been Rodney McLeod, spent most of his time as a single high player. Obviously, there's some variance there. And Rodney, actually, this year before he got hurt, was used a little bit more close to the line of scrimmage. Um, So there's nothing there that's exclusive. But most of the time, that's how they were utilized. Now we get to traits. And Number one with safeties in this defense is that you've got to be able to tackle. When you play a one-gap style of defense in particular, you have got to be able to tackle one-on-one because there are so many gaps and that have to be accounted for in the run game. And you only have 11 defenders. So if each of those guys is only accountable for one gap, that means your DBs, your corners, and your safeties have to be able to come downhill and compete at the point of contact in the run game. You can't have guys that are soft against the run. So all of those DBs have to be able to tackle on the back end. I think from an eagle standpoint, that's a trait you have to have. You have to be able to tackle. You have to be competitive. You cannot be soft in the run fit. Now, you get next to the critical factors in the NFL to play in the position. And to me, You've got to be athletic. You cannot be a stiff out there in space because teams will find ways to attack you in coverage. You have got to be instinctive no matter what safety spot you play. You mentioned McLeod's ability to quickly key and diagnose and get to the action. That's very, very important. But also the ability to take a correct angle. That's a huge part of it as well. And sometimes that just comes with reps. And that's one of the things that honestly makes it hard to evaluate the safety position in the NFL these days is that in college, you have some of these guys that are so specialized. Maybe they only play in the slot. Maybe they only play too deep. Maybe they only play single high. Maybe they only play stacked. And that you know you, they can be specialized in the NFL, but if you want them to be a top pick, if you're going to take a safety in the first or the second round, you want them to be able to play in your base defense. And chances are you know, your safety is not going to just be asked to play in the slot 99% of the snaps or something like that, which is what you'll see sometimes with some of these kids in college. So finding a guy that has reps playing in the post at a high level and playing in the slot and then also playing down low and you know, doing all these different things, that can be a bit of a chore. So at the end of the day, that's why I think safety is one of the hardest positions to evaluate and project to the NFL. I've talked in the past about how hard it can be to project that position. I stand by it. We can go deeper down the rabbit hole about this position here, but let's save that for another day. It was a great question there from Matt. Thanks for the support on our Apple podcast page. Again, if you want your question answered, feel free. Follow in his footsteps. Leave a comment on there, and it'll be questioned here on the show because guess what? Matt's comment, that was at the top of the list. So if you go on right now to Apple Podcasts and leave a comment, leave us a rating, Your comment will be on the show. Your question will be on the show next week. But uh, it's about that time. Let's welcome in Ben Fennell and look at some of the biggest matchups to watch this weekend in college football. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Time to welcome in my friend Ben Fennell, who you can follow on Twitter at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. Ben, let's get things going here, man. We've got a game this week that you're heading out to, so I'm excited to get your thoughts on some of these guys. And you're heading to the Las Vegas Bowl between Arizona State and Fresno State. That's Saturday, 3.30 Eastern, and you're working with a new crew, I believe, too. That is correct. You yeah. haven't worked with before. Going to be hopping over and working with Kirk Herbstreet, Tom Rinaldi, Reese Davis, 
there's a little bit of shuffling around with these bowl game crews. You know, sure. sometimes you're trying to keep the production crew together. You want to get them some extra games. So you move the talent around. So it's the same production crew, just a set of new talent. There you go. Some some uh, uh, behind the scenes, some inside baseball there with the production at ESPN. But uh, let's start. You we talked about Arizona State uh, earlier this year. You had them back in week two, week three against Michigan State, Correct. right? Yep. Uh, so let's start with Fresno State because honestly. They've got the player that I am most excited about in this game because Nikhil Harry, the star receiver from Arizona State, is not playing. The guy I'm most excited about and the guy that I'm most excited to hear your thoughts after you see him live is Fresno State wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson. He is a senior, not announced for the Senior Bowl yet, I don't believe, which is crazy to me. Um, we talked about you know guys that aren't on the list yet with Tony. That would be one of the guys at the top of the list for me is why isn't Keyshawn Johnson at, at that game yet, but... Let's go with uh, Keyshawn Johnson. Thoughts on the senior receiver going into this game? Yeah, so he's a redshirt senior, so he's been on campus there for five years, experienced kid. And this is right about the time of year that these Mountain West kids and these kind of under-the-radar players out in the West Coast really start to get traction, whether it is you're playing in the Mountain West or the games are just on late. This is right about that time period that if you're a highly productive player that just didn't get the national eyeballs on you, this is when your buzz and your stock and you know your draft uh, – for lack of a better word, your you stock. Know, yeah, your stock is kind of going up and people are just getting to you late. But this Keyshawn Johnson is a very, very productive player. 49 straight games of the reception, longest in the country. That's pretty good. All-time leading receiver in the Mountain West in receptions and yards. Pretty good. Active leader in the FBS receptions. Pretty good. Second in FBS yards, active leader, only behind Andy Isabella, who's also a very pretty productive good. player. Some coincidental stuff, too. Went to the same high school as other Fresno State receiver, Devontae Adams. And this is about the same type of arc that Devonta Adams had in his draft process. He really didn't get a lot of buzz until December, and once he worked his way into the postseason stuff, and a lot of people realize this is a really productive, strong player out there. This kid uh, returns punts, kickoffs, he had 1,000 yards in 2017, 2018. What I like most in his route running is he's very, very sudden. I don't think he's a blazer. He's not the biggest guy or the longest guy or the toughest guy, but he's a great route runner with natural hands, knows how to alter speeds and tempos within his route stem, knowing how to work leverages of corners and getting corners to flip their hips in advantage to where he wants to take his route. I just love his route stems. He keeps his head very still, has that deceptive speed. He's just a very productive player. I see some comps like a Michael Gallup last year from Colorado State or even a Corey Davis from Western Michigan two years ago. You just see that suddenness in his routes. I don't know if he's going to test extremely well. I don't think he's going to run in the sub-4-4s and the 4-3s. He's just a solid receiver all around. So a couple of really good points I want to hit on there. Number one, with Johnson – 100% 100% agree. I really, really like this kid. There, we talked with Brad Kelly a couple weeks ago, and he talked about Keyshawn Johnson uh, on Twitter, and that really what kind of spurned me. You know, I got to watch this kid. Watched him, and I, I loved what I saw. There are players that have come out each of the last few years that I'm not comparing Johnson to, but for the same reasons I liked them, I like John, like Taewon Taylor, Deshaun Hamilton. You mentioned Corey Davis, like guys like that that you just know they've got. A, they're not just. They're not just running a route. Like they have a plan of how they're going to attack. Very nuanced route running. They're not just relying on speed or just relying on being a six five receiver and out muscling guys. These are very, very detailed route running technicians. And sometimes I would rather that receiver that runs in the four fives that relies on the route running nuances mm. rather than just his physical gifts. Yeah, no question. And then you mentioned how, you know, the guys that are out west or playing in a smaller conference don't really get the buzz. 
Look, I remember getting ready for the Mountain West title game last year. It was Fresno State-Boise, which is what the game was this year. Uh, writing about this junior linebacker that was you know, super, super productive his first year as a starter, uh, Leighton Vander Esch, and then he declared for the draft, and no one knew uh, who's Leighton Vander Esch. They ended up going in the first round. Like I'm not saying Keyshawn Johnson's going to go in the first round, but just because we haven't really heard his name much, this time last year no one was talking about Leighton Vander Esch, and now obviously uh, one of the top young linebackers in the NFL. All right, let's get to some of these other Fresno State Bulldogs. Uh, obviously not to the level of buzz with, with some of these other ones, but let's start with the tight end, uh, Jared Rice. Yeah, Jared Rice, another interesting one. Keyson Johnson, obviously the cream of the crop as far as NFL prospects on this team. Jared Rice, really interesting tight end. Probably their best tight end since Bear Pasco, I want to say, five, oh, seven years ago at this neck, point. That's a pretty one. There you go. Yeah, but this kid was a uh, three-star, three-time state champion in high school. He's 6'5", 230. He's really more of an oversized receiver playing tight ends. Mm. He's that move tight end that will play in the slot. He's schemed open quite often. Number three in trips, running bubble screens, some throwback screens at tight end, a lot of sticks and some play action over routes and under routes. He's got some wiggle, you know, yards after catch, good hands, but he's just not a great athlete, doesn't have that top end speed. He's never asked to win one-on-one routes, so I'm not really sure what his route running can be to get himself open on his own without being schemed open and a bit of an uninspired blocker. So, you know, I like his size and he'll do some things in space and make some safeties and linebackers miss, so I'm just not sure where he fits in the NFL game. All right, let's talk about uh, Johnson's cohort in the receiving court, Jameer Jordan, I, I believe, is a senior as well. Yes, he is. This kid's very interesting because Keyshawn Johnson gets so many of the targets and so much attention in this offense. He's a very experienced kid as well. He's got 45 career starts, a different package than Keyshawn Johnson. This is a 5'11", 170-pound slot receiver. Okay, Very similar to Deontay Burnett at USC mm. last year. He really likes to work the middle of the field. He's small, he's quick, he's explosive, he's got great hands. He will do some kick returning as well. He had a little bit of buzz this year when he returned a missed field goal for a touchdown against Hawaii where he took it 100-something yards. Nice. It's not huge numbers, but he got he has you know explosive uh, a gear to him. He's averaged 20 yards a catch last year, 16 yards a catch this year. So not overly productive behind Keyshawn Johnson, but a really interesting receiver. And Fresno's got an offensive lineman as well, right? They do, and this kid's got an interesting story. So he won't be playing in the bowl game. He's tore his Achilles week two against Minnesota. Okay. But this is Natani Muti, Fresno State left tackle. He's a native of Tonga. He got a lot of attention because he was on the freak list this summer of Bruce Feldman. Power cleaning, 345. He's got a, nearly a 500-pound bench, nearly 30-inch vertical jump. Very athletic for 6'3", 300 pounds. Reminds me a little bit of a... Uh, who was a kid last year that went to the Browns? Austin Corbett out okay. of Nevada. Got it. Yeah, yep. someone that will probably project to play guard at the next level. Okay. Very, very strong player. All right, let's get to the other sideline because Arizona State, they've got a few names as well. I mentioned earlier, no Nikhil Harry in this game. Uh, you know, Herm Edwards you know, made some buzz when Harry declared for the draft compared him to a Des Bryant. Uh, are, you, are you expecting to hear any kind of uh, buzz or information from the, from the coaching staff going into this game when you, get on, uh, when you get down there? Not particularly. It sounds like Herm Edwards really gave his blessing to say if he doesn't want to play in the bowl game, we support him. Let's do what's best for him. And that really sets the tone for future prospects. And if anybody does have an... NFL potential that he's willing to accept whatever they want to do to bolster their stock and do what's best for them as an individual. So that's just great that Herm Edwards supported his decision. Nikhil Harry's going to be a tough one, just like uh, Kelvin Harmon down in NC State. These oversized receivers that don't necessarily separate within the route, what are NFL scouts going to view these guys as? Are they going to be another Kevin White, Laquan Treadwell, who's a big, burly, physical receiver, a great hands? 
great yards after catch that really struggle to get themselves open? Or can it be a Des Bryant that can really be a beast at the catch point and win one-on-one situations? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting because, as we've talked about, the big receivers in last year's draft, for the most part, didn't fare all that well in terms of uh, where they ended up being selected. But uh, the one guy for Arizona State that I've watched that I really, really like is Rennell Wren. I, I like his upside. Uh, not a polished player right now. Really doesn't have much of a clue of what he's doing as a pass rusher, but a guy who can change the line of scrimmage. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to be at the Senior Bowl, so very interested to see how he uh, performs in the one-on-ones in the run game and the pass game. Very interesting body for playing nose tackle. He's about 6'6", 304, so a bit taller in the trenches than you would want somebody playing between the guards. And you gave a comp a couple weeks ago to Chris Jones at yeah. Mississippi State. Very similar height and weight, 6'6", 308, coming at Mississippi State a couple years ago. And the interesting thing about these two players, Rennell Wren, he lacks production. He's only got four and a half tackles for a loss. He's got one sack this year. He's got even less production in previous years. Mm. But when you look at Chris Jones when he came out as a junior, also very minimal production, only about seven tackles for a loss, just under three sacks. So these are players that you didn't have the repertoire on the field. You didn't have a lot of on-field time as a freshman and a sophomore, and their production's really down, but they're very, very talented players. And if you look at their traits and their body types and their down-to-down play, there's a lot of things to get excited about. When you're 6'6 in the trenches, you have some issues with pad level. You have some issues with popping up. You have some issues with disengaging against big burly centers and guards. But that first step, Everybody in the NFL yep. wants a one-step explosive defensive tackle and wants that get-off at the point of attack, and that's Fresnel Wren, and he could be a very, very disruptive player. Yeah, that's what really honestly got me turned on to the, the comparison between him and Chris Jones because Chris Jones coming out, look, there were questions about his motor and his hand use and all that, but this was a big, long kid with a quick first step, and I think Fresnel Wren has a lot of those same traits, both good and bad. Uh, let's get to the other side of the line of scrimmage because you got Casey Tucker and Zach Robertson, two tackles I know you're excited to see from the Sun Devils. Yeah, two very interesting tackles. So Casey Tucker, definitely going to be draft eligible. He's a grad transfer from Stanford, actually. Uh, played 27 games over there. Blocked for Chris McCaffrey in his big year about three years ago. 6'6", 315. He's a five-star kid that came back home to uh, Arizona to play for Arizona State. Played left tackle this year against Michigan State, Texas Southern, San Diego State, and then hopped over to left guard hmm. against Washington, Colorado, USC, Stanford. If, if, it, if memory serves, I think he did the same at Stanford. Yes, he, they, played, he played all over the place yeah. at Stanford. So NFL loves these players that you can kind of plug and play. Who was the player last year? David Bright that sure. played some left yep, tackle, exactly. left guard. Very similar player. Powerful people mover. He's got the torque, the grip strength, the functional strength, the move players. But I just hate to see terrible balance. He has that waist-bending tendency off the edge. He's a little bit tight-hipped that prevents him from adjusting and reacting to counter moves and some inside moves. So I'm a little bit worried about how he projects as a tackle at the next level. But he's an experienced player. He's a strong player. And I can see an NFL offensive line coach maybe seeing him as a project or adding him to, uh, to depth on the offensive line. Well, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on all these guys. Next week we'll get back together and talk about uh, some of these other players uh, you know, that I think are going to be really interesting. They've got another guy, Zach Robertson, as well. Yeah, this guy's probably got a bigger upside. He's only a redshirt junior. He hasn't declared just yet, but we're expecting him to. Okay. He was up to 330. I'm getting word now he's down to about 310, which makes more sense because he's incredibly light on his feet. He's very agile and athletic. He's played some right tackle in years past. He hopped over to left tackle this season. Hmm. Now, the issue is... 
at left tackle, he's got a bit of a technique flaw. That left foot will occasionally step forward first. Uh And that's a very common trait when you have guys flipping from the right side to the left side. Now, the interesting thing with that flaw, I just got done watching the Oregon game against Jalen Jokes. Even with that technique flaw, he didn't get himself into trouble. And that just speaks to how light on the feet on mm. his feet he is and how athletic he is to get himself out of trouble, even against some of the likes of Jalen Jokes of the world. And this Arizona State offensive line is a very good unit. They've only allowed 15 sacks. That's uh, 18th fewest in the country. The great offensive line coach. And a lot of the sacks that they did give up, it was Manny Wilkins either running into sacks or thinking he could beat defenders out on the perimeter. And they really didn't occur within the pocket. So this unit's very underrated. Is Manny Wilkins a prospect, you think? I'm not really sure. I think he's just a really good college player. I don't know if he has enough traits to translate to the NFL. He doesn't have a big arm. He's not a big kid. He's not overly athletic, but he's got a little bit of everything, and he's a bit of a gamer. Mm. He gets the crowd going out there. He's just a really fun college player to watch. I'm not sure where he translates. All right, well, a bunch of bowl games this weekend. This is the best one, so Ben just gave you all the best players you should be watching, and you can be sure to check out my Saturday scouting column, which will drop on Saturday, covering most of these matchups with players that you should be studying. Ben, great stuff as always. Again, go check out Ben on Twitter, at BenFennel underscore NFL. Time to wrap up this show with some Q&A. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, so this week on Draft Mailbag, we're going to go to Twitter where JD Sports asks about uh, the quarterback class and says, hey, you know, Fran, with the injury to Carson Wentz and, you know, Nick Foles is going to be a free agent, what are we looking at in terms of quarterbacks for the future? Is Nate Sudfeld good enough to be the number two? Will they invest a draft pick in a third quarterback? And I think that's a good question, JD. I think when you look at this quarterback class, I think it's pretty intriguing. The Senior Bowl group is a fun group. There's seven guys confirmed right now. The seven are the two guys from the Big Ten. You've got Trace McSorley and Clayton Thorson. You've got uh, the the kids from the SEC with uh, from Auburn, Jared Stidham. You've got Ryan Finley from NC State. I'm all going off the top of my head at the moment. Uh, Drew Locke from Missouri is going down there. The question is, is gonna who Will Greer as well is the last name I'm thinking of, West Virginia. The question is, who's going to be the eighth? And I think when you look at that group, it's probably, if Daniel Jones, the quarterback from Duke, declares for this draft, I think that's a guy that you're probably looking at uh, as the eighth quarterback. If not, it could be Easton Stick from North Dakota State. They have a game against South Dakota State this week in the FCS semifinal, so you can keep an eye out for that game there. But I think if you're looking at this draft, it's a good group if you're looking for developmental players, right? If you're looking for players that, you know, maybe they don't need them to start right now, but if, you know, if you want to try and groom them to be a starter in the future, or if you're trying to find a guy that can be a nice, reliable backup, I think this is a good group. You look at guys like Ryan Finley. You look at Gunnar, Min- uh, Gunnar Minshew from uh, Washington State, who's also going to be at the Senior Bowl, another guy that I left off that list. You look at Minshew. You look at Easton Stick. Those three guys in particular really stand out to me as guys that feel really good about them being a backup long-term in the NFL, being a reliable player, a spot starter. Much how I felt about like Nate Sudfeld coming out of Indiana a few years ago. That's how I view guys like Minshew and Finley and Easton Stick. Easton Stick, I like a lot. You know, there's just some limitations with all these guys, and I, I think all three of them offer some value there. So those would be some names that I would keep an eye on in this quarterback class. Very good question. Obviously, with the Carson Wentz injury, uh, reported injury, we'll see if he does if he does go this Sunday uh, or if it is going to be Nick Foles. But again, like you said, Nick Foles is going to be a free agent, so uh, something to watch for sure with this Eagles team. So great question there from J.D. And if you ever have any questions on the show, 
feel free, hit me up on Twitter at FDuffy3 or head over to one of our podcast channels. Give us that rating. Leave us that question in the comment section. Guarantee you will make it on the show. With this being a new show, that's the best way to just give us some support. It helps bump up the rankings, help us spread the word to people looking for podcasts just like this one. So if you get a chance, really appreciate the support. So great stuff from Tony Pauline this week, Ben Fennel, Joe Marino, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or any of our podcast platforms. Thank you again for listening as always, to the Journey to the Draft podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.